Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling via Zoom of the Star Tribune. Of the Star Tribune via Zoom. We're going to talk Minnesota Vikings bye week. We'll get into some mailbag questions. We just heard from Kevin O'Connell and the bye week debriefing with local reporters. Uh, he told us who's starting at quarterback next week. You won't believe it. Uh, <laughs> he, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't exactly do that, but he narrowed it down to three. And we know it's not four because of the roster move they just made. So yeah, we just, have that. Sean just, Manning has been voted off the island. They just cut Sean Mannion from the practice squad. Justin Jefferson is the big news activated to the active roster as we expected after the bye week here or heading into the bye week. Uh, should be available December 10th in Las Vegas. Uh, who was throwing him the ball is going to be of much discussion until then. So let's start. Um, ben, what did you take away from what Kevin O'Connell had to say and what was about 20 minutes talking with local reporters? Yeah, I mean, it's the better part of their bye week is going to be spent trying to figure out the quarterback situation. And I think everything is in play. I mean, he basically said it will be between Josh Dobbs, Nick Mullins, Jaron Hall. All three are in play for that job. And, you know, they they talked about kind of the virtues of all of them, but I would be surprised if they went back to Dobbs just because of all of the, the things that have happened in these last two games with the turnovers. And also, they, I, I think it has bothered them that they have not been able to run their offense with the typical level of, you hear him talk about rhythm and timing a lot. And what he's talking about with that is when the quarterback gets to the top of the drop, it's his drop is supposed to line up with when a receiver is breaking out of his route, or maybe he takes one hitch if a receiver has a longer developing route. But all of these things are supposed to line up basically on time. The, the trains are all supposed to arrive at the station at the same time, so to speak. And if you have a quarterback that is taking more time to read through things as he gets through his drop, or isn't sure of what he's seeing, or isn't sure of the throw he can make just because he doesn't know the offense as well, they're not getting the ball out at the time that it's supposed to come out the way these plays are designed. So some of that is probably not Dobbs's fault just because you're coming in in the middle of the season. But if that is as big of an irritant or as big of a detractor to their success on offense as it seems like they view it to be, I would be a little surprised if they'd go back to Dobbs at this point, knowing that there's only so much you can do to fix that in the middle of a season when you just acquired the guy on October 31st. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Yeah, and they've had enough problems with Alexander Madison fumbling, with everybody fumbling, um, that you know they lead the league and lost fumbles. You don't need to deal with the interception problems and a quarterback that we know is not uh, the most accurate, certainly not compared to Kirk Cousins. Um, So I think that's a big part of it. We hear O'Connell talk all the time about one of the most important traits in his system and what he wants to run and what they've spent hours and days and months building here is is accuracy and 
I think Nick Mullins might have a little more of it. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, somebody who steps in and all of a sudden leads them to the playoffs in a surefire spot, but he might give them the better chance and a cleaner chance. And look how Brian Flores' defense is playing. Like, yeah. like that might just be all they need is, is at least a better chance than what Josh Dobbs is giving them at the end of these games or to set them up better for the closing of these games. Man, who would have thought we'd be sitting here in yeah. November 2023, Mike Zimmer is gone. <laughs> Kirk Cousins is on injury reserve. Justin Jefferson hasn't played in seven weeks. And we're saying all they need is a game manager because their defense is so good that they can win 17 to 14, just get Jefferson the ball enough to make a few plays. But the thing is, had they done that last night, they would have won. Yeah. And it's it seems strange to say that, but with the way their defense is playing, even without a lot of proven playmakers, and they they have a a a big play at the end of the game last night where DJ Moore finds a big space in their zone to basically cost them the game. That game's not close if they aren't turning the ball over to the degree that they did. So. I do see it in the sense that the defense is playing well. You get Jefferson back. That may help you, you know, kind of just get him the ball and let him do his thing. If there's that ability to do it, I, I guess I get the the thought process there if that's the way they end up going. It's just funny that we're talking in these settings with what's supposed to be uh, the space age offense. And we're kind of back to the, well, if they don't turn the ball over, they can win close games and, uh, keep people out of the end zone and go win 17-14. And telling them to run the ball, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a, a flashback to to that era. Yeah, I, I feel like running the ball more might have might have helped. There was at least one stretch there in the second half where I think they finally got Madison three straight carries. Third one ends in like negative, you know, one yard. Yeah. And then O'Connell goes four straight passes, or at least they end up in a call that is four straight passes. Uh, into one of the four interceptions. Um, so it, it's just moments like that where you feel like they were leaning uh, too much on Dobbs, but moving forward here, he's shown that you can't put that all on him as a pocket passer. I mean, the Bears defense was allowing 48% on third down, the worst in the NFL. They were they were getting torched on third down. Uh, Brandon Powell said after the game, these, these defensive backs are trash. We were just bad. <laughs> Um, so I don't think they had any respect for Chicago secondary. And that says that adds a multiplier to me on how Josh Dobbs played and that they didn't take advantage of what they thought was a susceptible secondary. Um, and that somebody like Nick Mullins might be better suited to, you know, find the outlet. Um, cause I think O'Connell even mentioned after the game, Josh is still learning where, you know, where to check down and cause his, his, his plays are wired and his brain is wired as such where, um, he's used to a certain system and, and with these new plays to get to progression one to five to the check down, he's got to relearn some of his old habits to rewire his brain. And in the moment when he's getting pressured, you're seeing that affect him and he's not playing as well. Uh, and Chicago did a great job of keeping him in the pocket and forcing him to throw in ways that he couldn't, he just couldn't do it. And I think that says it all. We're like, that's the number one thing. It, like the improvisational stuff is extra, right? And I think we've seen O'Connell talk about the, talk about the mobility like that of like, hey, we don't want to coach it out of them, but we got to complete passes and be active. Yeah. And um, I guess to be like a, a garnish, not the main course. Yeah. And so to me, I guess that gets to the point of, if we're moving on or if they're moving on from Josh Dobbs already and, and we're moving on in this discussion, 
uh, from him. It, when it comes down to Mullins and Hall, I mean, wouldn't you be going with the guy that has more experience and doing that not only in the offense, but in the NFL against defenses, uh, being pressured by NFL pass rushers, uh, all of those things? Yeah, I just I unless there's things from Jaron Hall that we haven't seen in practices, I just tend to think if your biggest issue is we're turning the ball over, we're not executing our offense efficiently the way that we want it to run the best way I would think to get some semblance of that back is to put in the guy that's got the most experience in your offense, the guy that you added because you wanted another backup that can play the offense in a somewhat similar fashion to Kirk Cousins, a guy that Kirk Cousins has praised as helping him learn the nuances of the offense. I mean, the the whole like record the play names and use your phone as a flashcard idea Kirk Cousins has praised Nick Mullins for showing him that. So I just tend to think if they are as irritated by the inefficiency and especially the turnovers as they seem to be, Nick Mullins probably ends up being the 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 safe, reliable um, family car in the garage that will yeah, yeah. wow anybody. Uh, you're not taking that thing out on the Autobahn, but it's getting decent gas mileage. It's uh, got low insurance costs because of all the safety features. I, I, I know people probably are not going to want to hear that. I just think that those things may be appealing to them in this moment, especially. I like that comparison because I feel like Jaron Hall is like the prize of like a game show where it's a mystery box. You can either have the sedan or you can have the mystery box. Yes. You're sitting there going, you know what? I want the mystery box because it might be a sedan. And it's like, well, no, you got one right here. You might as well just start it. And he's got more experience. Um, so I think Jaron Hall was a fifth round pick for a reason. I think the physical tools are, you know, nothing incredibly special, but he's got mobility. He can at least push the ball downfield a little bit. And we saw some some composure from him in that start in Atlanta, which was a good a good thing to see if you're the Vikings, certainly. Yeah. Um, but I just don't know how far that one drive is going to go in this evaluation compared to all the the months they've had with him or the short months they've had with him in practices, behind the scenes, all the above, uh, compared to the what is a much bigger resume for Nick Mullins. And I think the component we should get to is maximizing Justin Jefferson, yep. and maximizing the offense with him. They've they've established and they talked about how hard it was moving on from him, losing him, and then figuring out how to capitalize against defenses that aren't paying attention to him. Well, now you get him back, and who is best to run that system um, that you've built around him? It, it might be a guy who does have more practice reps. And I think it's not just us saying this, Ben. We heard Kevin O'Connell today talk more and more about the nuances of the position, the nuances of the offense. And that leads us to why we're talking about Nick Mullins. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there is a certain way that they want to play. And there is a certain way that they're going to play. That's kind of baked into the cake at this point. You aren't going to have a team completely dismantle its offense. They, you simply just don't have time to do it in November. That is a question for February and March and OTAs and mini camp and training camp and all of those times where you're installing stuff, you don't have the time to do it during the season because you're trying to prepare for opponents and you have limits on how much time players can be on the field and all of those things. It's just, 
and we hear that. I mean, we hear people say, well, why don't they do this? Why don't they add this stuff to the offense? Like you can in spots, but you're not going to fundamentally remake everything you do at this point. And they had, and I've brought this up, they have had, they had serious interest in Anthony Richardson. And we've, we've talked about it a little in terms of like, how much could they add a running quarterback to this offense based on the idea that they had interest in him? I, I think that is the nuance that has to be part of that discussion, though, is if you do that, if you draft a quarterback like that, you are building the offense from scratch around him, and you have time to do all of those things when you draft him. This is a different thing. You just don't have the capacity to make all of these types of major changes. So a lot of this becomes who can do what we have committed to doing the best. And what they've committed to doing is building an offense around Justin Jefferson. You could argue, I mean, it's hard not to lean on him as much as they have as good as he is, but uh, they have set themselves up where they're going to lean very heavily on him when he's healthy and, Kirk Cousins has been the guy that's thrown all but 11 of the passes to him in his career. So all of that's going to be new too. So I feel like as much as they can assimilate the Cousins to Jefferson and then everything else builds around that type of structure of the offense that they had planned, that's why make, that's why to me Mullins makes a lot of sense. Uh, before we get to questions, is there anything else from the press conference that we should get to? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he – did say they've built in a little bit of time in practice for all three of these quarterbacks to work with Jefferson. I asked him about that late in the press conference, just about you know, how do you get these guys used to throwing to Justin Jefferson when you see teams play so differently against him. And, and we've heard Kirk Cousins talk about that in terms of learning that a throw to a covered Justin Jefferson is not necessarily as risky as you would think it is and kind of needing to almost work up the nerve to do that, I guess. He said that part of the reason or part of the benefit, I guess, of having three weeks to practice before Jefferson comes back on the field is that they've been able to create some time where it's not just Josh Dobbs working with the ones and Jefferson getting in there possibly, or it's not just Jefferson working on the side with Nick Mullins or, or working with the twos or whatever it happens to be. They have had time for all three of these guys to play with Jefferson because no one on the roster has thrown a pass to Justin Jefferson in a regular season game. And they are going to be making up for some of that timing and some of that chemistry, some of that trust that Kirk cousins has built over the last three years as really the only quarterback Justin Jefferson's ever had with the exception of that one game at Lambeau field in 2021. So you are starting from scratch in some ways in terms of trying to build trust between your quarterback and arguably the best receiver in football. It's interesting to watch how that is going to go. And I think they've tried as best they can to add some things to practice to do that. We'll have to see how much of that actually comes out on the field, but they do seem aware of the challenge and the potential payoff of doing that with him. They need more points somehow. And Justin Jefferson should equal more points. Good. Yeah, you'd yeah, think that would you would, would think. Uh, let's get to some questions here. Nick wants to know, is the Las Vegas game a must win? I feel like 
If we're talking about the Vikings in the playoff race, we mentioned they are one of five teams with six losses in the NFC. This is an AFC game. However, they can't afford to keep racking up those losses. If any of these NFC teams wake up and care about their life, because the Packers seem like they're headed in the right direction, but who knows? And then it's the NFC South and the somebody's got to win division. Um, you've got the Buccaneers. You've got the Rams down there. Um, Rams have an easy schedule down the stretch, too. Could old nemesis Sean McVay, or not old nemesis, old mentor Sean McVay knock Kevin O'Connell out of the playoffs? Um, so it is how, like what is the, a, what is like the a Star Wars Anakin Obi Wan thing in there somewhere <laughs> where he, he takes Kevin O'Connell down? You were the chosen one. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the saints are in there. So you got the head to head against the Falcons Packers currently saints. If you're the Vikings, uh, yeah. Rams also the other six loss team. Actually, I I talk about the Rams schedule. It's not like there's a soft kind of middle to it there, but it's not complete cake. It's, uh, Cleveland on Sunday and then at Baltimore, then they've got Washington, the saints, the giants, and then the 49ers on January 7th, possibly the 49ers aren't playing for anything in that game. But those next two, Cleveland and then at Baltimore, is kind of a, a tough back-to-back. So, um, yeah, worth considering with the Rams. So the Vikings are staring down Aiden O'Connell and uh, old friend Jake Browning. So you got to take advantage, right? Even if you're starting Nick Mullins in this game. Um, in general, we can also combine this. I think this is a good one to combine with the question we got. Um, let me pull it up quick from, from Goblin also asks what proverbial statement would you need to see from the Vikings against the Raiders that would reestablish the idea that this team could make a deeper run in the playoffs. So can this be some kind of statement game, Ben, for them getting on back on track? Um, I suppose in the sense, I, I think stop turning the ball over is the biggest thing. I mean, the Raiders are not a good team. They're not an awful team. So, I mean, they, they do have some pieces, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs. I mean, they're not dealing with a great quarterback, but Jacoby Myers has had some moments this year as well. So they are a team that I think can move the ball and could beat them if the Vikings are in as much of a giving mood as they've been uh, the last couple of weeks. So, if they are able to not turn the ball over and play efficiently and probably protect whoever's playing quarterback against Max Crosby, who has turned into a game wrecker for the Raiders, um, I think that's the statement you'd get from it. I don't know that I'm going to be in the place of saying they made a statement until or unless they beat the Lions definitively. And even then, the Lions have had enough issues that it's hard to know. I mean, I... I think the only teams you're making statements against in the NFC are probably the the 49ers and the Eagles and maybe the Cowboys at this point. But um, the statement to make is probably we are the best of a mediocre bottom half of the NFC and deep playoff run probably means heading into San Francisco or Philly in the second round and hoping for the best. Yeah, I don't think there's anything they can do against the Bengals and Raiders as those teams currently exist to make me think, you know what, this team's, uh, yeah, NF, NFC, uh, you know, contender in terms of yeah. making an actual run. Yeah, you're going to have to see it against Detroit. That's the next game that can really be some kind of measuring stick 
for where they're at. And at least they've got two games to get whoever's going to be starting at quarterback back on track before they host the Detroit Lions on Christmas Eve. Um, let's move on to this question from Josh. Wants to know, has the Vikings play calling been too conservative the last three games when trying to protect a lead at the end of these games? And he went as far as to say, I pulled together the the runs at the end of the Saints, Broncos, and Bears games, um, pulled together about basically the, the last half of the fourth quarter. So they ran the ball 10 times, gained basically seven, yeah, seven yards is what he wrote. So uh, they have not been running well to close these games. They have not been running well in general this season, but especially not well at the end of these games. Uh, and according to our researcher, Josh, uh, he points out they've passed fairly well at the end of these games um, when they do decide to throw. So it's a difficult balance, Ben. We also talk, heard from O'Connell yesterday saying, like, when your defense is playing that well, yeah, you know, you, you kind of feel like you should be able to try to run the clock out and then trust them to continue playing that well. Um, I want to run the ball because I trust my defense more than my quarterback. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> is Mike Zimmer back? <laughs> Who's the president right now? Um. I, I I think it's an interesting question because this it shows that this COVID test today it shows that this that this team is not necessarily built to close games and when you can't run the ball that means you can't take pressure off your quarterback and then you can't lean on that run game to take pressure off your quarterback to run the clock out uh, whereas the opposite happens with Chicago where all they have is a quick passing game and a run game and they manage to have a nine minute drive to start the game. Um, so the Vikings have not been able to live in that world of like not being the downfield passing team. And I think that also hurts them at the ends of these games where yeah. teams are generally going to play off more, not want to give up the big play. Or if you're trying to run the ball, you're running against stack boxes if it's an obvious run situation. And they're just not good. Brian O'Neill had a pretty rough game, I thought, in this yeah. one. I thought Montez Sweat obviously had the one sack on him. But in general, he gave up a few pressures where you're thinking this is not normally what he looks like. And so the right side of the line was was questionable. And you've got running backs like Madison still screwing up in pass protection as much as Ty Chandler was. So I, overall, the quarterback needs to be mobile and Mullins is going to have that as well um, in his game. Yeah, But they need to be able to, to hand it off to Madison or Chandler. And we just didn't see it on Sunday or on Monday. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of this thing with O'Neal that it's it's probably safe to assume he's not 100% recovered from that surgery. I mean, I know they talked about the rapid recovery time to get back on the field, but these major surgeries, we've kind of learned, I think, that there, it, there's sort of a two-stage recovery. It's the one that gets you back on the field, and then it's the one that kind of gets you back to actually being yourself all of the time. And we may be a little ways from that with him yet, because you see some things with him that you're like, this is not Brian O'Neill, the way he's played when he's fully healthy. And generally, we've both done this long enough to know that your instinct in the NFL, when somebody's looks a little bit off, especially later in the season, you should say, okay, uh, what's he playing through right now? Or in this case, how much is he still affected by that surgery from a year ago? I, I think that's probably part of it with him. As far as the, the play calling at the end, I mean, yeah, it's been conservative. I think some of that is the lack of the trust in the quarterback because they've had so many different ones. But those are also the times where you should be able to run the ball and run the clock out and say the game's over. I mean, you know, we talk about run pass ratios and the 
analytics would say that that is the time of the game that you should run it because you can drain clock, make them use timeouts, and basically ice the game. I mean, there's no reason not to do it in those spots. And part of the reason it looks conservative is because they haven't run it effectively. I mean, they, they've had four-minute opportunities against the 49ers, against the Saints, and they were able to win two of those games. But they had one, I mean, kind of against the Broncos. They had a chance to, to extend the lead, had a, a chance to either extend the lead or kill the game last night, too, and they couldn't do it. So some of it has looked conservative, I think, because they, even in the moments of the game that call for a little bit of that, they haven't been able to do it. And I think that has been probably something that's not talked about a ton, but the lack of a four-minute offense, I think, has been a big problem for them. Yeah, and you see a crop up when they try to run at the goal line. Another yeah. loaded front situation that they're really bad at. Yeah. Um, they were bad in short yardage last year as well, and they trotted back the same offensive line and and a similar running back and Alexander Madison, who they thought was going to help in those situations. And we just we haven't seen those piles fall forward as much. Um, Madison, I thought had some good runs in this game. He evaded some people. He had the twenty one yarder to start the second half. Um, when he gets decisive and gets moving and doesn't stop his feet, he can be pretty good. Um, we're just not seeing that behind this line where he's too often getting stopped and not and restarting. And he's not that kind of back that can get going again. Um, and so I, I think this is going to be tough for them moving forward to try to find that balance on offense, regardless of if it's Ty Chandler, Madison, I thought the Chandler usage was puzzling considering yet. I think it was five touches in the game. Yeah. And yeah, you had 22 plays in the first half. It wasn't a whole lot to work with, um, but they need so much speed on this offense and playmaking. And uh, they, they kind of went back to a formula that, as we've talked about, was was certainly interesting um, in terms of what they've tried to do before yeah. with their offense. Rapid fire question here, Ben. I want to get your take. We got this question from Craig. I thought it was interesting. He wants to know, should the Vikings pay DJ Wanham? It's a curveball. All the questions are about Daniel Hunter, but DJ Wanham has been playing better. We know he's a bear killer, not that Johnny Munt. We know that DJ Wanham has been destroying the Bears. He had another good game on Monday night. What do you think about the season he's having as he is in a contract year and the Vikings don't have any edge rushers signed beyond this year? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Daniel Hunter will be expensive, and I don't know if they will pay a player going into his age 30 season what Daniel Hunter will want to be paid. That's going to be one of the more interesting questions of the offseason. DJ Wanham could be a more affordable alternative. Is he the top edge rusher on this team if you want to build a formidable pass rush? I don't know about that, but he certainly has been better. I think if Brian Flores is back, and that's a big if, he fits well. Um, he's younger. He's the type of player they would like to sign. If they think it's affordable, I could see it. I think that's a certainly a good question, certainly something that they could look to do. The question, I guess, would be, does somebody else see him as more and offer more than they'd be able to do? That's worth wondering. But, yeah, I, I think there's an argument to be made for considering that. Certainly more, than, more of one than I thought there would be at the beginning of the season based on what we've seen from him in the past. So he's done a nice job kind of adapting and really blossoming blossoming in the role that they've had for him. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think we would have been uh, fielding that question or even getting no. it at all um, entering this season, but he has done a nice job under Flores, uh, which is a credit to the staff here. Uh, Isaac wants to know who is the best slash worst matchup for the Vikings 
in the NFC. So if you're looking at the Vikings and those six lost playoff teams we talk about, or the NFC South winner, for instance, um, who, what should Vikings fans be rooting for as far as stars aligning in this NFC playoff field? Well, the best would probably be the Saints, wouldn't it? I mean, is that who you'd want to see? I would think you'd go down there and think you could win. Yeah. Uh, the worst, I mean, it won't be the Eagles in round one, I don't think. Um, the 49ers at full strength, I don't think is great. Um, you know, they didn't have Debo Samuel in that first game. Um, I think Kittle was somewhat banged up. So I, I don't think that's great on the road, especially without Cousins. Um I don't know that the Cowboys are – well, they wouldn't get the Cowboys. That won't matter. They, they, they're not going to be the five seed. So it's probably either the 49ers or the Lions. And they probably won't get the South winner then either. The, the Cowboys are going to play the South winner. In a perfect world, they'd get the South winner. That'd be the best one. But realistically, it's 49ers or Lions in round one, I would think. So if you're just saying those two, I think the Lions are better than the 49ers. Um, they'll know them well and – and by that point, there won't be any mysteries. And I think they could they could play effectively against them more so than San Francisco on the road. We saw somehow Joe Barry, of all people, uh fluster Jared Goff on Thanksgiving Day. So I didn't oh, think man. that I didn't think that would be coming, but I also think that that result, the Green Bay over Lions result and how it happened was was really a good sign for the Vikings in terms of seeing get Goff rattled, seeing that Lions offense not be able to run the ball, their offensive line being injured and not as good right now. Um, I you think should he- mention that one of the worst days of Jared Goff's career, in fact, the day that may have ended Jared Goff's run as QB1 in Los Angeles, basically clearing the way for the Matt Stafford trade, came against Brian Flores in 2020, where he basically came home from that game I think the the Rams had charted like seven turnover worthy plays in that game, and and they basically decided, from what I understand, after that game, we need to move on from Jared Goff. So that's going to be worth bringing back up as we move towards that first meeting between these teams, because Brian Flores uh, had a quite a field day against him back in 2020 in Miami. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating as the Vikings are guaranteed two matchups at least against Detroit, maybe a third. We'll see. Yeah, it's about uh, the three series. Until then, please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com. We will talk to you guys next week out of the bye week and see who the Vikings quarterback is.